Nature, a podcast all about exploring and engaging with the natural world. I'm Victor. And I'm Annabeth. And we're really excited to be here. So excited. <laughs> this week, we're talking all about plants and how to engage with plants. Mm-hmm. As it can be a bit tricky, considering they're maybe not as cute or as cuddly, maybe, as the animal life we inhabit the world with. Yep, but plants are super important. They're the base of basically all the world's food chains, more or less. Mm-hmm. And they're the powerhouse of ecosystems. Oh, I like that. Powerhouse yeah. of ecosystems. So plants are super important, and yet a bit difficult to get kids to engage with. Because... Mm-hmm. They're not super exciting. Mm -hmm. And one of the key ways that a lot of us environmental educators have is to get kids out there and interacting with plants in some way. And inevitably, the question comes up of, should we allow the kids to pick these plants or not? Ah, the old to pick or not to pick conundrum. So that's what we're going to be discussing in Mm -hmm. this week's episode. We're going to be looking at some of the reasons why you might want to consider letting kids Mm -hmm. pick plants, some of the reasons why maybe you shouldn't let kids pick plants. And if you decide to let them pick the plants, then we're going to talk about uh, how to pick plants responsibly. Mm -hmm. And then we'll go through some quick activity ideas to get kids out there and interacting, engaging with plants. Right. So why pick the plants? My, I'm, I'm taking sort of the why pick plants mm-hmm. arguments this week, and most of my arguments come from this article by uh, P. Gobster in the 2007 issue of Nature and Culture, which is all about the museumification of nature. So that's sort of taking outdoor mm-hmm. spaces, and in an effort to protect them, you turn them into mm-hmm. a museum. You know, it's a very hands-off, look-only yeah, kind you're like of thing. inadvertently disengaging people from it. Yes. Absolutely. So the core of my argument for why we should allow kids to pick plants in some instances is that it really builds connections and positive relationships with the natural world. And that's really important because having those positive relationships uh, Mm -hmm. tends to lead to willingness to support conservation efforts and wanting to take action to support the environment. So like very, very core to the kind of things we brought out last time in our podcast. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So as you said, you know, if you separate people from nature in an effort to protect it, it can actually be counterproductive because if you don't have those connections, mm-hmm. close connections to your local environment, you're less likely to connect with bigger environmental issues or problems that might be happening elsewhere in the mm-hmm. world. I think, yeah, if you kind of take away a kid's first reaction to a lot of things is to touch them. Yeah, because so, as you said, the strength of these natural places is mm-hmm. that they offer people a whole variety of ways to experience the world. Mm-hmm. If you limit this, the ways in which you can interact with it Mm -hmm. then kids are less likely to have a really satisfying experience in that environment which means that children might actually start to gravitate away from natural Mm -hmm. spaces to things like video games or world Mm -hmm. which is you know worlds where you can do whatever you want like in minecraft you can do whatever you want to the environment yeah when you're can you you think you can go outside and you won't be limited but if you start putting on those limitations exactly it kind of closes that door and maybe keeps them indoors instead especially with plants which can be so fantastically sensory i think taking away making putting limitations putting a barricade between them and actually maybe touching or picking as in this case can yeah be pretty not great for them if they're if we want them to be as excited about plants as maybe they are about other aspects in the natural world as well Um, I also think that allowing kids to pick plants in these sort of sessions or lessons or when you spend time with them outdoors, it's an opportunity for you to teach them how to safely interact with nature. So like how to collect leaves without harming the plant or Mm -hmm. the local environment. 
Picking fresh leaves also allows you to collect better conditioned materials. So if you're working on an art project, or maybe it's for scientific purposes for your class, like maybe you're building up a collection of leaves, often you need the fresh leaves because they're, mm-hmm. they're you know, they're not going to be all dry and crumbly when you try to stick them to a paper or something like that. Yeah, so those are the reasons <laughs> uh, for why I think you should be allowing kids to pick plants. I think that's, yeah, I think that's pretty fair i i think my concerns with picking plants come stem from an idea of the general obviously the harm to the plant is probably one of the bigger things if people if large groups are sort of picking a lot of leaves picking flowers even maybe uprooting the entire plant that's going to be incredibly damaging in my in my opinion incredibly damaging so i guess obviously you've mentioned though that there's ways to do it responsibly i think yeah it stems from a general concern for the well-being of a plant it's still a living thing it's still like you said very important plays a very important role in the ecosystem. Yeah, so I think that definitely this is dependent on where you're going to be doing this activity. I think there are definitely some places where picking the plant material is, especially with whole classes and things, Mm -hmm. is not appropriate. Yeah, exactly, because it can actually damage not just the only plant, but if a lot of plants, flowers, shrubs are all being taken, it can be hugely damaging to the environment, especially if maybe these are plants that are only found there. If it's a protected species, if um, they only occur there in really, really small numbers, you could be wiping out entire species by permitting a group or whoever to pick. So I think it's kind of picking, but having responsible goals set when you're sort of picking. I think the other thing that I it kind of concerns me about picking plants is it kind of turns nature into a commodity and kind of puts a value on it rather than just kind of enjoying it when it's there so the idea of say you do have a class and one kid picks a bluebell all those kids are going to want a bluebell and then all of a sudden your beautiful bluebell meadow is gone yeah and if you're the one kid who didn't get a bluebell then you're gonna be because you want one just because everyone else has one not because you actually want the bluebell. Not because you think bluebells are amazing and your favorite flower ever it's because all your friends have one i think also there's something about uh you kind of teach them that it's okay to always be taking things mm-hmm. from the environment exactly. so i think there's definitely something to that argument mm-hmm. yeah where do you draw the line okay they pick this flower they take this leaf oh they see a really interesting wild animal they want to touch and stroke it that's where where does it eventually the line get drawn where do we obviously we want to be engaged and out in nature as much as possible but we feel sometimes that you do need to appreciate being a spectator and sort of enjoying it from a safe distance but again then it kind of raises the argument of with young people enjoying from a safe distance does not necessarily mean having fun (laughs) yeah they might not be able to enjoy it from from that distance And I think collecting things, it could lead you also down a path of wanting to collect a bit of everything and wanting Mm -hmm. to collect rarer and rarer things which could, you know, suddenly you can become an orchid smuggler or support, (laughs) (laughs) you know, or or supporting other people who do smuggle their orchids, right? Just so that you can have that one super rare specimen. I guess, yeah, it sounds pretty far-fetched, but it could happen. It could happen. And it does happen. Like, trafficking an endangered species is a real thing. Plant smuggling is also a real thing. Really? I'm shocked. It is. Like orchid smuggling. It's a thing. You can make thousands of pounds. 
smuggling endangered orchids out of these countries. And they're not... Not that you should. But they're protected. But they're protected. Okay. Okay, so now that we've sort of weighed up the kind of pros and cons of picking, maybe it's time to have a chat about how to do it responsibly. If you think that I definitely, for my class, for my group, for my family, to get them engaged with plants, there needs to be a way that I can do this responsibly, ethically, and without damaging the ecosystem. So we probably have some ways here that we can advise best possible course of action. So I think first thing is to revisit the two sides of this debate whenever you're coming to do an activity. Have a look at it and have a think, what am I doing? Is there another way that I can do it? Do I actually have to pick the plants? Can I take photos instead? Mm -hmm. Can I do a rubbing? Can I use fallen leaves instead of fresh ones picked actually straight from the plant? And then if you do need to pick the plants for whatever the reason, then yeah, responsible picking. So here's some of the things. Number one, there are some legal obligations. (laughs) So here in the UK, you always need to have permission of the landowner. If you're going to be picking or taking anything from an area of land, make sure you know, is it public land or is it private land? Do you need permission? And that means that does mean your neighbor's garden. Don't steal from your neighbor. No, ask for permission first. And then second thing is um, being aware of the protected species that might be living in a particular area. Mm -hmm. So every country has a list of vulnerable and protected species. So just check that first and before you get out there, which gets to the first principle uh, that I've got of picking picking responsibly. Picking principle. Number one is to know the site because then you know, do you need the permission? Is it private land? Mm -hmm. You also should have an idea of are there protected or vulnerable species? on the site so then you know to avoid those. I think that's probably a pretty great tip for any if you're planning any sort of outdoor engagement activity for a group do your homework do sort of a reconnaissance mission to see is it safe is it protected what do I need to know what do people need to bring and that sort of thing that's just a general good take-home message for all things but especially with plant picking yeah yeah. and if you're targeting something specific if you're going you know if you're doing a foraging walk and you want to pick berries knowing the site so you know where are the berries so Mm -hmm. you're not just hunting around for hours fruitlessly (laughs) so good I planned that yeah I did not right second principle Mm -hmm. um know the plants that are in that area and again that's so that you know what the protected species look Mm -hmm. like but also know are there dangerous plants around like are there ones other ones to avoid that you don't want to touch yeah if you're taking smaller kids maybe don't go to an area filled with nettles and thistles in which they could injure themselves and things i know this is they're always going to be commonplace in like meadows and um, undergrowth and everywhere really interesting and fun places to explore but will it make their experience less enjoyable if they get stung yeah or there's some plants like um giant hogweed for instance where to look at you know it's not going to harm you if you touch the plant it's not going to hurt you but if you are picking the leaves and come into contact with the sap then it can be a really serious irritant you can get blisters and stuff from the sap so just knowing is that present on the site so that you can know to avoid Mm -hmm. those plants i think another thing would be again if you're knowing the area make sure you're not picking near or taking maybe invasive species unless it's an organized removal event because certain species like Himalayan balsam actually if you were to pick it they have a really responsive seed dispersal mechanism that actually when you touch it they just 
Yeah, explode. the seed pods basically explode. Yeah, mm -hmm. and they just fling the seeds yeah. for meters and so meters. So by picking them, you can actually be helping their spread, which is obviously not something we want from an invasive species. And then there's uh, ones like Japanese knotweeds, another mm -hmm. invasive, and that one can regrow from very small parts of the plant. So if you pick a piece of a plant of a Japanese knotweed, decide you don't want any more, drop it on the ground, that can actually regrow into a whole other plant. And if you chuck it, they usually live around water. If you chuck that leaf, you know, you decide to play poo sticks with it, that's actually really bad because then wherever that bit of plant ends up, it, uh, it can regrow and just spread the problem. Uh, and another part of knowing the plants is being able to recognize which of the plants that are okay to pick. Mm -hmm. A really good way to work this out is if you go onto the Plant Life website, they have their sort of picking code of conduct that kind of talks to you the major points in how to pick. And they have roughly, like, there's a, a kind of a list of about 12 that they say is okay to pick and it tells you how to do it responsibly and the idea of picking only in areas of sort of great abundance. So if you see only four, maybe leave those guys where they are and kind of try and find larger sort of patches of them. Similarly, if you are picking, try not to trample everything that's around you. Yep, so also try not to trample everything, which is really important. And this goes back to knowing the site. There are certain habitats that are much more sensitive to picking plants in. So there's uh, alpine environments, really high altitude. Uh, a lot of those areas, soil is very thin. And if you trample around, you can dislodge that soil, dislodge the plants and it can take years or decades for that soil to reform and the plants there also really struggle along so if you pick that one plant that's just barely managed to get that foothold they have enough be... of a tough time as it is yeah. but you walking all over them uh sand dunes are another one so if you're on the beach you see some neat plants remember that those plants their roots are actually holding together that soil and if you pick that plant then that can destabilize that habitat and that sand can just blow away the next mm -hmm. time there's a storm and again it can be years or decades for the habitat to to recover mm -hmm. from that i think a great rule to follow if you are picking is the idea of the one in 20. so if you see a flower you can maybe a flower or a part of a plant maybe pick it but kind of don't do it do it every 20th time because that way you know that at least the impact that you're making is going to be so teeny tiny and you're not going to be taking too many from the environment it's in. Whenever I go foraging, I like to say that you should leave the area looking like you were never there. Mm -hmm. So really spreading out the picking. So that's, mm -hmm. that's quite good. I would definitely also recommend try not to uproot the entire plant. And avoiding flowers if you can mm -hmm. as well. Yes, flowers are so crucial for their sort of reproduction. So taking the flower can be really, really detrimental to them actually having any sort of life after you've left them. So how can you recognize plants which are okay to pick. So if you're looking for leaves, as Annabeth said, use that one in 20 rule. If it only produces a few leaves, maybe don't pick those. So a lot of the spring bulbs follow this. They only produce one or two leaves. I'm thinking things like snowdrops and bluebells. So if you pick that leaf or like a tulip, if you pick that one or two leaves that a tulip produces, that's going to cut their light collecting mm -hmm. capability in half. So it's going to be much harder for them in the following year. So take from plants that have lots of leaves instead. Or another really good one is hedging plants, things that you're going to cut down anyways. Those are generally okay to, to pick. Things like hawthorn and 
beach mm-hmm. where you use them in a hedge and you know twice a year someone will come by with like a chainsaw right and chop down the sides of it to shape up that hedge and then it can just regrow fine mm-hmm. those ones can handle and picking. they grow back pretty quickly as well actually a lot of them which is which is really really great it means you're not going to be too damaging to that little environment uh if you're looking for flowers you can look at how the plant actually produces those flowers a lot of plants that produce a flower right at the very top the so apex like a big of the plant, sunflower for instance like those they will only produce that one flower so if you take it then that's it that plant's not going to be able to produce seeds for that year if however if you look on the plant and if you look at where the leaves meet the stem that's called the leaf axles if they've got it looks it'll look like a little tiny shoot a little tiny baby plant kind of poking out there if it's got those then if you pick the flower or the part of the plant that's right at the top that will actually stimulate the plant to produce more flowers and more side stems so those are ones that are okay to pick they're they can handle that they'll just produce more flowers so good examples of that are most of the things in the mint family will do that sweet peas they also produce flowers from the leaf axils corn flowers are a good example as well and another good group is any kind of plant that you would find in your lawn like the dandelion yes <laughs> the dastardly dandelion, dandelion. <laughs> so all those grassland meadow plants they've a lot evolved alongside herbivores ah the grazers so they're used to sort of being chomped down exactly so those are plants where you know every so often their head's going to get chopped off their leaves going to get chopped off mm-hmm. so they'll just regrow they're they're used to it so they've got the right growth habit and the great growing pattern to to deal with that kind of disturbance Okay, so now you've decided that for your group that you need to pick, you now know how to do it responsibly. Well, what can you do with your groups? And we have some, I think, some pretty fun ideas. I know I've got a few anyway. Uh, yeah, you've got a really good one. Do you want to start? Yeah, so I think one of my favourite things that I've done with some like younger, it generally works quite well with younger kids, not damaging at all, it doesn't involve picking any live plants and it's called finding your lucky leaf and it's kind of seasonal it's when the leaves will be falling off the trees so in autumn or fall and if you're in the park with lots of kind of really big trees it's quite fun as well and basically their goal is to find their lucky leaf and the only way they can find their lucky leaf is to catch one that's actually falling off the branches because you have to catch it before it touches the ground otherwise it loses all its luck and all its magic and that's (gasps) what you need to yeah to get you through get you through autumn get you through winter is the magic of this lucky leaf and i know it doesn't seem like it very much goes into it but i have had hours of fun with this with kids trying to catch a leaf falling from the sky i think that's a really great one Mm -hmm. i love any activity that kind of puts the magic back into the natural environment Mm -hmm. exactly and it's really really great especially if you know an area like in the park or a meadow or somewhere with like lots of kind of different trees of different species because obviously you get different um kind of shapes and different colors and you can then begin to tell sort of weave other little narratives into that with different the different shapes of leaves giving you different kinds of luck and different kinds of magic and how many you can collect and it's really it is really really fun and really really heartwarming and even with some of the leaves on the ground you can actually use it for art and see what pictures they can make out of the colors of the leaves they find there so that's something that i think is really wonderful to do and it doesn't actually involve taking any of the any leaves that are growing at that time just ones that are already falling down to earth Yeah, and I think any of those leaf art activities, I think, are really Mm -hmm. um, good as well. Just making big patterns and pictures from leaves on the ground. And the nice thing about that is not only does it not involve taking leaves off the, but if you leave the art there, then it leaves the nutrients there. Because if you think about it, every leaf you take out of it, that's nutrients that you're taking out of Mm -hmm. that ecosystem. So if you leave the leaves there, then it's still habitat for things. The wind will rearrange it eventually. Mm -hmm. So I I like those art activities. Also, you get fun colors in autumn as well. Mm -hmm. 
great, yeah. Especially if you're around your sort of maples or your sycamores or any of those ones, you can sometimes get those really beautiful like reds and yellows, golds, oranges, which I think are really, really pretty. And it's nice as well that we can still get an enjoyment and appreciation of things that are are dying which kind of sounds a bit depressing but I think it's great to sort of kind of accept the sort of life you can sort of chat a bit about the life cycle of leaves the life cycle of trees and how it kind of goes through this season and the leaves there'll be no leaves in the trees and then they'll begin to bud and they'll grow again and they'll be back the next year which I think is quite nice especially for the younger ones yeah getting that life cycle kind of mm -hmm. idea in that's really good another activity idea is a leaf hunt so that's one that I've done before where I'll give them pictures of very specific leaves to find of specific plants and then they have to hunt around and try and find it. The thing I really like about this is it means that I can select plants that are going to be okay to be picked and also it means that these kids now have to look really closely at the environment to find mm. those very specific leaves before they're allowed to mm. pick it. So I often do this with lawn plants, things like um, the little daisies and clovers. So I know that they're going to be fine to pick, but I also love the idea of kids like getting down in the grass yeah. and looking, and then they start to find all kinds of other little plants and bugs that are like also living in the more grass. More in-depth investigation of when they're outside, which is great, actually. I really like that one. Exactly. So I like the strength of that so mm -hmm. it's it's that combination of these are the ones that are okay to pick mm -hmm. but also you're starting to pay more attention mm -hmm. to the environment it's around kind of you. a bit like um not the nature bingo where they kind of have to find four four of these or three of these leaves and then once they've got their card complete that's a nature bingo oh that's a good one as well mm -hmm. um we've done one before called nature's palette and that's when you have this a bag and in the bag there's a bunch of words just descriptive words you know you take turns you pull out a word and then everyone has to find something that matches that word so you oh, need to I like that one That's yeah one. so it's like find something round or find something bumpy but you could also i've seen it done where you actually get like paint swatches mm -hmm. you know so you get a bunch of greens and then you pull out one of the shades of green and then you have to go around and you have to find something that matches that Ooh, shade of very green good. I like yeah that. So nature's palette that's a good mm -hmm. one and um, one of my favorite things to do as well is making bramble smoothies so you get them all to bring along well, this obviously needs a little bit of planning but hopefully if you've done your homework and done your reconnaissance you should be fine um but yeah in involves them bringing over bringing around a cup of their choice then going out and finding blackberries or brambleberries and basically they'll put them all in the cup collect as many as they can but it, hopefully you've picked an area that has quite an abundant lot obviously it can be a bit hard hunting for them but yep pick as many as you can and then they crush them all up and you add sort of milk to them and then they drink their delicious smoothie although I did do this for about two weeks straight with some after school clubs and I don't think I can have another blackberry smoothie anytime that's, soon I the smell of it that's is a bit much for me now that's a lot of blackberries it's a lot of blackberries yeah, yeah. But it was great. They, I think they loved that they were foraging for themselves and creating this own delicious beverage, which was quite nice for them as well. Foraging is a really good activity to do to get mm -hmm. kids to engage with plants as well. And it also reconnects them with their food, makes them realize where they get their mm -hmm. vegetables and their fruit from as well. I think it can just be really enlightening for them. that They're like, oh, wow, I can find food outside and not everything comes prepackaged in a supermarket. I think that's really good. And there's lots of really delicious, you know, you can pay four five pounds for a bag of some leaves that you can potentially just find outside. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking dandelion leaves. Mm -hmm. You can buy those as very expensive vegetables or you can just go and pick some dandelion you leaves. You can make some delicious nettle tea. 
also quite nice. Yeah. And you can cook nettles like spinach as well. Mm-hmm. The, what else? There's wild garlic is a good one. Mm-hmm. That's Sorrel a good one. is really lemony. That's really lovely. There's another one called salad burnet, Oof. which is a lovely leaf. It tastes a bit like cucumber skins. So it's very cucumbery. Fresh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes they can, you can get some bitter ones, mm-hmm. um, but that's because there's a very close cousin of the salad burnet called the greater burnet and that's mm-hmm. much bitterer oh it's really bitter but if you get the salad burnet which has smaller daintier leaves mm-hmm. it's much less bitter you get that cucumber flavor really exciting when a kid bites into yeah. that but definitely it goes without saying before you go foraging do your research yes make sure you <laughs> are confident you're going to recognize what is safe yes to what is safe to eat so another uh, activity that you might want to do is to start to build up your own herbarium so that's Ooh. a collection of pressed plants oh, I like that. and what you would do with this is uh it's one where if you want to do it for scientific purposes you would actually dig up the whole plant with some of the roots if you can and if you can get flower that would be good as well if you go back later in the year and can collect a seed pod then that's great what you'll do is you'll put all of that between two pieces of paper put some books on top of that and just let that dry it usually takes maybe a week or two something mm-hmm. like that once you've got it dry you get a nice piece of card and you can use just regular PVA glue and just very gently put some glue on the plant and stick it down on your paper. And mm-hmm. there is your completed herbarium specimen. I love that. And I think they always look really, really pretty as well. A lot of them can. If you get the flowers as well, it almost looks like artwork, which is great because it's so scientifically viable as well. So I think that's kind of ticking off two huge boxes about it. Absolutely. So if you do want to use these for scientific purposes, just make sure that you've recorded the right information. So you need to record the location where you found it, the date that you found it as well. And if you can get any other information, that'd be great. So that's what kind of habitat was it in? If you can figure out what the soil type was. So kind of like the learning possibilities are a bit endless with it, depending on which direction you want to take with it. Absolutely. And then also because it's plant material, it lasts a really long time, basically Mm -hmm. forever once it's dry. So you can refer back to it so you can identify it and just start building up a collection and you can look at things like does this type of plant change over time this is what museums do with their herbariums mm-hmm. and they can look at where where these plants are collected so are the places where we find these plants is that changing over time mm-hmm. so if you record all this data with your herbarium then you can potentially actually donate it to museums and scientific institutions oh, fantastic i love that I think like another, I have like one of my favorite picking slash not picking slash being outside activities to do is actually a national one. And it's called the Great British Wildflower Hunt. And it's organized, I think, a lot by Plant Life as one of them, as one of the groups. And yeah, it's basically you go on the website, you sign up for it. It happens um, for a few months in the year, I believe in the spring, summertime. And when obviously we're getting our sort of beautiful wildflowers popping out and you sign up for it, you say which area you're going to be looking for um, or looking in and they send you your pack or you can just keep it all on line if you want to be paper free which I'm obviously a big advocate for um yeah get your pack and then yes yeah, start looking for your plants and they give you the list and um, kind of give you their top tips their code of conduct as well which is great um and they also tell you I think out of the 43 45 46 plants that there are there's 12 that are good to pick okay to pick and I think by keeping to these guidelines I kind of having this kind of 
competitive streak to it and that you're trying to see how many you can find and you're actually giving plant life all this data all these records of the ones you've discovered and it helps give them a bigger picture on what our wildflowers are like that's really great one because it really connects people in with mm. the science that's actually being done all these citizen science projects mm-hmm. like They're that just wonderful work really well and been good sources of data as well so uh, another good activity that you can do if you're not sure about letting kids pick plants then what you could do is grow your your own specifically for picking. Oh, I like that. Yeah, because then you're not damaging mm. the wider environment. You've planted it there for this specific purpose so that you can take advantage of it. A lot of kitchen herbs and things like that. So grow your own vegetables or grow your own herbs. Mm-hmm. And the great thing about the herbs especially is that a lot of them are really good for wildlife. Mm-hmm. Most herbs that we use in our kitchen, like mint, oregano, thyme, they're all actually mint family plants. Really? Well, quite a lot yeah. of them. That means that they produce loads of these little flowers and bees love them and sort of butterflies so and they're pretty good with picking Mm -hmm. because mints are famously real garden thugs they will Mm -hmm. take over so if you pick (laughs) them it's actually keeping it under control Mm -hmm. you can also grow your own wildflowers or flowers to cut as well so if you Mm -hmm. do want to collect flowers you can grow your own and again a lot of those will be ones that as you pick the flowers they'll produce more so i think i think that's such a good one like growing your own cut flowers or wildflowers or vegetable patch it just really inspires kids to sort of take ownership of their natural spaces that they have allow them to cultivate and have been really invested in something which i think is great it's reattaching them to the natural world which is what we all want yeah yeah and really appreciating also growing your own the lovely thing about that is you appreciate appreciate the work and effort Mm -hmm. that goes into what you get from the grocery store. And it kind of makes you appreciate when, if you're looking at organic versus non-organic vegetables, Mm -hmm. and you think organic vegetables are so much more expensive, it's because someone has actually put more effort into it Mm -hmm. because non-organic methods are more labor intensive they're not applying artificial fertilizers they're not using pesticides to keep those things under control a lot of it is going to be just going out and keeping track of these plants so it really does require Mm -hmm. more effort and that's why they're more expensive so i think it can really like nourish an empathy which is what we could definitely agree that a lot of people need especially if you're in a school and you have access to a little vegetable plot or you know undergrowth or something that you can take as a project throughout the year and see how different plants have grown over the seasons and things like that. Absolutely. And you don't need lots of space. If you're growing herbs or even flowers, a lot of those you can grow indoors. You know, like mint does really well indoors, things like chives. And there's quite a lot of flowers that you can grow indoors for cutting. So like corn flowers stay relatively small and they'll, if you cut the flowers, it produces more and they will just keep going. Geranium family as well. Geranium's quite Mm -hmm. good as well. Um, Scented geraniums, yeah, which are pelargoniums. Geraniums. Of course they are. So yeah, I think pretty much brings us to the end. So let's have a quick recap about picking or not picking and best practice then. Right. So reasons to pick are that it fosters that sort of deeper connection with the Mm -hmm. local environment that you're in. And that means that you're more likely to connect with the wider environment, those bigger environmental issues. I think it can really nourish a scientific understanding of the environment as well if they're maybe picking whether that is for like herbariums or for collecting to discover more i think yeah i think sometimes picking can be really really instrumental in just getting a deeper understanding of our outside world and picking plants with supervision is an opportunity to teach kids how to interact mm. with plants and with the environment without causing too much destruction because mm. at, at least if you're there to show them how you're ensuring best practice which is key when interacting with the outside 
and reasons not to pick. Not to pick. It can be damaging to the plant, damaging to the environment. You could be wiping out entire species. You could be spreading invasive species. There's a lot. So I think maybe really take home would be pick when you feel it is completely necessary and you can guarantee maximum responsibility and maximum care in the environment as well. And there might be other methods that work just mm-hmm. as well. Do if, you really need to? Yeah. If you're trying to identify a plant, often a photo is going to mm-hmm. be good enough. If you want flowers in the house, do you really need wild mm-hmm. ones? Can, can you, you go to a florist? That's why they're there. Yeah. Can you grow <laughs> your own? Yeah. So if you do really need to pick good things to take into consideration, don't break the law. So don't trespass, don't steal flowers from someone else's garden, uh, don't pick from protected areas. We have a lot of protected areas in the UK and some of them have really important key species that can only be found there and picking from them is a criminal offence that will be taken seriously. So definitely keep that in mind before you're going to an area, do your homework, do your research. Make sure you know the area well, especially if you're taking young groups of kids. And know the plants that are in that area. You know, are there dangerous ones that you need to avoid? Are there sensitive or protected species that grow there? So again, you know to avoid them. And know which plants are okay to pick, Mm. which are the ones that can tolerate um, having things collected from them. Don't pick too many is another thing. Don't completely decimate a tiny population of bluebells. If you'd like any more information about any of the topics that we've covered today, please check out our show notes. We'll have maybe some of the activities up there and links to the paper that we discussed as well. And also, if you're ever in doubt about picking plants or being or having activities, please check out Plant Life. They have really, really great resources and top tips for you and a really key code of conduct. And of course, you can always get in touch with us at knowingnaturepodcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. That's it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. This has been Annabeth and Victor, and we can't wait to check in with you next time. Bye.